Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Jesus knew it would be important that we learn this truth about life. He said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Now the word that he uses for offenses there is, and I'm sure this will come up in several conversations this week, the word he uses in Greek there is scandalon, and the idea is that it's the bait that triggers the trap to close whenever an animal touches it, or a fat finger when he's trying to set the mouse trap. either way. But that's the premise behind the design for the logo of this series, Don't Take the Bait. Satan's desire is to trap or cage or destroy those who want to follow Jesus in this life. That's why Satan will bait his trap with things like bitterness over something that's said about us or to us. And if we take that bait, then resentment will either end up caging us or destroying every relationship that means anything to us. He'll also bait that trap with reasons to just pout and run away and just go hide because we're just done with it. We want to get even. We want revenge, right? But revenge doesn't remove our anger, it just magnifies it. He'll also bait the trap with things like guilt and shame after we've taken the bait to keep us from reaching out to God. And yet, guilt is usually what we feel because of the result of our actions. I did something bad. Shame describes how I see myself as my new identity. I am bad because I did this. And then finally, Satan will bait his trap with pride to keep us from admitting what we've done and who we've become. And we end up in this pride cycle of pride and sin and shame and then cover up. And then we repeat it with pride and sin and shame and cover up. And we repeat it and repeat it. And we're just stuck in this spin cycle. Jesus knew that it would be impossible to live life without constantly being tempted by Satan's bait. That's why we need to learn how to deal with that trap. Because it will catch us at the most unexpected moments. When I was in school in Minnesota, I had very close friends and when my father changed jobs, we decided to move out to New Jersey. And I remember sitting on the front step of our new house in New Jersey thinking, I can't wait to meet all these new friends. I can't wait to go have a good time with these kids, play sports with them. And that dream, so to say, kind of was shot down almost instantaneously when I started my first day of school out there. Really, it was probably the first week that it started to get bad because they found out because I'm new, I don't have any friends, I don't have any connections, I don't have anyone to lean back on. I was labeled certain terms that were awful and they would always try to 
beat me up and try to shove me into lockers. I would literally put my feet down and stretch, thinking that I would grow more because they would make fun of me so much for being small. I remember them being in, in a circle like they would in movies with me in the center. They would take towels, get the tips wet, and they would whip me with them to the point where I'm bleeding, I'm bruised. I carried all of that on my back. I made that who I was. The pain and the anger and the self-destruction defined me. Well, one of the one biggest, of the biggest things, things that helped me survive, survive when, when I was out in New Jersey, Jersey was, was my, my faith. faith. One day when we were at youth group, I realized the true strength that the Lord has in me. And I realized that I know it's going to be tough for a while, but I know things are going to turn around at some point. Senior year came around and I realized the only way I'm going to get over this and the only way I'm going to get this stuff off my back is if I reflect on what happened. I forgive those kids for what they did to me and move on. Obviously those thoughts come into my head every once in a while. I know I'm not all these things that they called me. I have confidence now. I have self-esteem. And I'm confident in saying that I am who I am. And that is through the power of Christ because I'm a completely different person than I was then. So how was your kid's first week of school? There has to be a key to get out of the bay, or to get out of the trap. Jesus wanted us to learn that forgiveness is that master's key to freedom. It's how we escape the trap once we've taken the bait. You would have probably been a whole lot more excited if I would have said revenge is the key, wouldn't you? I love this church. That guy, he gets me. I could listen to him all day. Okay, every Sunday. It's a common theme, revenge, payback, comeuppance, getting even. Classics like Rocky and Rambo, Taken. Revenge of the Nerds. The Notebook. Yeah, see, it's not in the Notebook. I just want to make sure you were still with me here. Forgive the notebook's just another sappy love story, okay? That's just all that is. Forgiveness, though. It's got to be more than just another Dr. Phil episode about relationships. Forgiveness is at the core of the story of Christ. Forgiveness is the core message of the cross. Forgiveness is the foundation of the covenant that Ramey spoke of. The promise to God that we make. Forgiveness is about the function of the church. That's why the message of Christianity is consistently about reconciliation. Bringing us back 
together. Paul would write in Romans 3 and remind us that sin messed all that up when we take the bait. We're caught in his trap. The result of that, he describes as wages. It's what we've got coming to us. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, that's eternal life in Christ. And also, as was referred to earlier in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, it says we've been baptized into Christ. Therefore, we've been baptized or united with him in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. Just like he was given new life, we've been given new life because, Romans 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus taught that forgiveness is not only just to be received, though, it's to be given, and that is what can be tough. C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I, I can't get out from underneath the weight of what Christians in Afghanistan are experiencing on this first day of the week. And that supersedes who you voted for, who you cheer for. Because if your heart doesn't at least take a beat for those, 
for those right now who may not see anything change in this life until they step into the next life. Satan baits that trap with revenge and bitterness and hiding and shame and an ego that says, I made him pay. Don't take the bait because every relationship has value. And the bait that tempts us not to forgive is one of the most enticing that there is because it is a whole lot easier just to isolate and insulate ourselves so that we have so that we don't ever have to deal with that again but the only way to break free from Satan's trap is to accept the idea that every relationship has value and that's what he taught in Matthew 18 in verses 1 and following of Matthew 18 the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom and that's when Jesus brings in some kids and honors them and says hey they're they're the most important that there is well they were they were inclined to dismiss the kids as unimportant and then in verses 6 and following Jesus emphasizes that we have to be responsible and aware of our influence on others and that's why he says, if you're so willing and eager to cut somebody off, why not just cut something of your own off? Like, cut your eye out or cut off your hand. And in verses 10 and following, he just keeps on drilling down on the value of each and every one of us individually with the story of the lost sheep. It doesn't matter if you've got a hundred of them. It doesn't matter if, if one of them wanders off. You've still got 99 left. He says, your father's going to look for him. Because he doesn't want anyone to be lost, no matter how insignificant it might seem. And that's why the very next thing he teaches them is about how to make things right in chapter 18, verse 15 and following. When there's a problem, instead of just cutting them off, instead of just saying, well, who needs them anyway? He says, go discuss it privately with them. And if they ignore you, then take others to validate the issue. And if that doesn't work, then don't give up on it, but see if there's anyone that they'll listen to. Tell it to the whole church. Not in a gossipy, tattletale type thing, but just to see if there's anybody that has any influence in their life. No wonder Peter's reaction to this kind, is, is this kind of a question in verse 21. Lord, how often? How much? How many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? And he rolls the dice at the craps table because the rabbis of their day just said, oh, well, three is funny. And he says, how about seven? I'll double what the rabbis are teaching. And Jesus says, no. <laughs> it's not seven times, it's 70 times seven. Or some versions say 77, but, you know, does it really matter whether it's 77 or 490? Because if you're keeping count, you've missed the point. 
it doesn't matter. His point is that because everyone has value, whether it's the people that you think are insignificant because they're kids, or because you think you're more important than others, or because someone lost their way and wandered away, or because of what someone did to you, everyone has value. So forgiveness can't have a limit to it, right? It was so mind-boggling to them that Jesus had to actually tell a story just to make it more bite-sized that would put everything back in perspective. But that's why Jesus tells them about this, this story or the parable about the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, verse 23 and following. You may be familiar with it. If, if not, you'll find it there in your Bible or a Bible app. He talks about a king who conducted an audit, and he discovered somebody that owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that may or may not mean much to you. If you try to equate it to a dollar, it's like 10 grand. Well, okay, that's about a third of the price of a new car, so... You know, borrow money for that, you can do that too. Let's keep it in these terms, okay? A talent was equal to somewhere around 16 years' salary. So I don't care what your salary is. 16 years, that's one. So 10 would be 160 years' salary. Even I can do that math, right? After that, it gets a little fuzzy, but 160 years is 10, and this guy owes 10,000 talents. Well, obviously, the king demands what he's owed, even if he has to sell everything, including this guy and his family and his future generations until the debt's paid off. And the guy just can't fathom that he's going to mess up that many generations to come after him. So he begs for freedom and he promises to do whatever it takes to pay it all back, even though there's no way that he's ever going to pay that much back, right? And probably to the amazement of everybody there, the master actually cancels the guy's debt. To say that he walks out is probably an understatement. Skipping out, racing out, stumbling out, all of those make more sense. Looking over the shoulder to see if it's really still true or not. And no sooner does he walk away freed of his debt than he sees somebody who owes him about three months worth of wages. A hundred denarii. Denarii a day, that's the salary, standard rate. He goes up to this guy, he gets in his face, and that's, he just loses his mind. And he ends up not just poking him in the chest, but grabbing him by the neck, choking the life out of him until he promises to pay it all back. The guy begs him, I'll pay it, I'll pay it. And he threatens to throw him in. The same thing that the king just told him. Others see how he's treating this guy. And it just doesn't sit right. They know it's wrong. 
because they know how much he just had canceled. So they go tell the king. And he calls the man back in, it says in verses 32 through 35. And he just says, probably something that's not appropriate to be written in scripture or read in Sunday morning church. So we'll just say, you're evil. I forgave you that tremendous doubt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he'd paid his entire debt. And then the thing that just makes us catch our breath. Jesus says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive from the heart. Refuse to forgive. And that's tough. And one of the things that makes it tough, I think, is because of the misconceptions we have that make it hard to be willing to forgive. For example, this. One of the misconceptions we have that makes it hard to be willing to forgive is that we think forgiveness means it's okay. But forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Jesus doesn't say there's nothing wrong with what happened to you. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't be hurt. It's not okay. Forgiveness is not just a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision that you deliberately make despite your feelings. The positive feelings, the forgiving feelings, the loving feelings, they tend to follow after forgiveness, not precede it. Another thing that makes it hard for us to be willing to forgive is that forgiveness is not forgetting or ignoring what happened to you. Forgiveness is remembering your guilt, their guilt, and remembering His grace, and then offering that same grace to others. Well, if I forgive them, then how, how am I supposed to trust them again? Well, that's just it. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. Forgiveness can be given. Trust has to be earned. And the last one that kind of messes with us and makes it hard to be willing to forgive is if we assume that forgiveness depends on them saying, I'm sorry. But forgiveness doesn't depend on that, right? Forgiveness only requires one person's choice. Reconciliation. Well, that requires everybody's in the game. So how do you do this? How are you willing to forgive and escape the trap because you've taken the bait? Well, here's some of the keys if you're going to escape that trap. He talks about it in Ephesians 4. He says, when you're angry, don't let, your, don't let that anger make you sin. 
And don't stay angry all day long. Now, this is from the easy-to-read translation, easy-to-read version, because we need easy, right? Especially when it comes, time, it comes to our anger and forgiveness. And then he says, don't give the devil a way to defeat you. And, and the word way is like access. Don't open the back door for Satan to come in. There's the first one, right? So here's the keys. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Don't let the anger make you sin. He acknowledges, yeah, what happened made you mad. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to get stuck there. Because if you do, you know that it's going to give access to your heart to Satan. And instead of honoring God, you're going to grieve his spirit. And the evidence of God's presence then in your life, as illustrated in Galatians 5, are things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control and every single one of those are the polar opposite of how anger shows up in my life which is why he goes on in Ephesians 4 verse 31 and 32 to say what he does next get rid of all the bitterness and rage now we're talking right because this is real. This is how you feel when things go wrong and people treat your kid like they treated the kid from Minnesota. This is how you feel when, like those people with the cardboard flips, had done what was done to them. And instead of that, he says, be kind to each other. Yeah, I'll kind of think about it, right? No, he says, be kind to each other. Be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, and here's the key, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. Now granted, that looks fine here, and it's easy to say this morning. It's just that when you attach stories and names to it, that it starts to get messy. You know, aren't there exceptions, like maybe your ex that makes your life awful? Aren't there exceptions, like that childish co-worker that refuses to grow up an adult like the rest of us have to do so that we can cover what they're screwing up? Does God really expect me to be forgiving and tender-hearted to that manipulative relative or the nasty neighbor or the friend that betrayed me or the one who stood before friends and family and made a covenant to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. And they broke your heart. What would Paul know about that? Well, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Their pastor was a guy named Timothy. And he'd also written to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4, verse 14 and following, he says, Alexander the coppersmith, now we've got a lot of those today, right? But he says, Alexander the coppersmith has hurt me in many ways. Change out the name, if you want, from Alexander to whoever. Change out the occupation or to the relationship of what you want. But the reality is, 
Paul knew what it was like to have somebody hurt him. And hurt him in a way that he couldn't forget. But he says the Lord will judge him for what he's done. And he never goes on to say what happened. But he does teach us by example how to forgive in spite of the pain. In verse 15 he says you need to be careful of him. Because he fought against everything we said. Forgiveness doesn't mean you never say anything to others because sometimes forgiveness means you have to protect future victims. In verse 16, he says, the first time I was put on trial, no one came to help me. In fact, everyone deserted me. May God forgive them. Forgiveness means you release your right to get even. And you release your right to becoming obsessed with vengeance. See, some of you know what it's like when you're counting on somebody and they let you down. Some of us know what it's like to have people that you thought you could trust and they lied to your face in church. Some of us know what it's like To have somebody that you trusted. And the deeper the relationship, the deeper the wound was. So here are the keys to the trap, okay? In Luke 6, verse 27 and 28, he says, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. What else does there say, right? I don't like it. I want Rocky. I want Rambo. I want Revenge of the Nerds would be better than this. Even the notebook would be better than this. <laughs> but that's the key to getting out of the trap once you've taken the bait. Pray for the person who hurt you instead of cursing them before God. There are some things you know, and then all of a sudden a light bulb goes off when you connect the dots. That happened to me when I was reading about a lady named Ruby Bridges. She started to school the same year I did. I, we had color back then, okay? It wasn't all black and white. She started to school her first day the same year that I did. But boy, was her first day of school different than mine. On my first day of school, I knew almost everybody in my class because they were all kids in my neighborhood. I went to church with a lot of them. But when she was six years old, she was chosen to be the first and the only African-American student in her all-white elementary school in New Orleans. <laughs> I guess you could say she knew everybody in her class because she was in class by herself. None of the other parents would, would allow their kids to be in the same classroom as her. The teachers thought, we'll fix her. You can, you can escort her into our school building, but you can't make us teach her. 
So they hired a teacher from Boston who was white and willing to come to New Orleans and teach one-on-one -on -one with Ruby for the whole year. On my first day of school, my mom drove the school bus, which was funny because she's 4'6". Her smile was the last thing I saw before I got off the bus, and her smile was the first thing waiting for me when the doors opened and I stepped back up on that big cheese. On Ruby's first day of school, federal marshals escorted her through an angry mob of about, well, there were hundreds of protesters forming a gauntlet on either side of the sidewalk for the blocks that she walked with these federal agents to school. And when they held up a small casket with a black baby doll in it and told her she was next if she came back to school the next day, yeah, she saw that. Now, I want to be clear. This is not about race. It's not about how horrible New Orleans people were to a little black girl. It's not about how awful our nation is and the way that we treated others. The story of Ruby, in her own words when she wrote the book Through Her Eyes, is this. You won't be surprised that this little six-year-old would wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares and she'd go running into her mommy's bedroom and her mommy would ask her every single time, you said your prayers and then her mom would walk her back to her bedroom and lay her down in her bed tuck her in and they would kneel she would kneel by her bed and they would pray together and Ruby would say later somehow it would always work kneeling beside my bed and talking to the Lord made everything okay because Mama and my pastor always said, you have to pray for your enemies and the people who do you wrong. So that's what I did. One morning after a particularly ugly walk through the gauntlet of angry protesters, because it didn't stop, it lasted all year. Ruby's teacher looked out the window and saw her stop on the steps of the school and turn around and she saw her lips moving like she was saying something to the crowd while they were just losing their ever-loving minds screaming at her. A little six-year-old surrounded by federal agents. When she got into the classroom, this teacher from Boston said, Ruby, what did you say to them? She says, I wasn't saying anything to them. I was praying for them. That is the master key to escaping the trap that Satan sets.
for our hearts. And hear this, that is the master key for our nation to escape the trap that Satan has set for our nation as well. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for our enemies, whoever they are, and whatever position they hold. And that is the same trap and the same master key if you're in Afghanistan this morning. Because the battle that we fight will be won with different weapons. It will be won, not with Black Hawk helicopters and AK-47s. It will be not even won at the ballot box or in the Supreme Court. This battle will be won like the soldier of a six-year-old girl praying for people who hated her. That's why Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 17 and 18, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for everyone to hear, even the Gentiles. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack, and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Here's the master key to the trap that Satan has for us. Remember this. God is standing with you. I may not know what some of you are going through right now, all I do know is it's good to meet some of you this morning because I've been praying for you. I just didn't know the face that I was praying for. But we've been praying for God to bring people to us. But he knows. He knows what it's like to be lied about. He knows what it's like to be physically assaulted and helpless to stop it. He knows what it's like to be laughed at, to be humiliated and embarrassed in front of everyone. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by people that you thought you could trust and abandoned by people who swore they would never leave. Jesus knows all of that. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, So let us keep on coming boldly to the throne of grace. I specifically chose the International Standard Version for that phrase because that is the most accurate translation of that verse. Let us keep on coming boldly to the throne of grace. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just something you do because Ed made me feel guilty that morning. It is what you keep on doing, just like Ruby kept on praying that whole year long. Because it's then that we find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Why don't you, uh, if you're part of the praise team, why don't you make your way back up? God is calling you to finally release the past with the master key of forgiveness. 
I'm going to help you do that this morning. If you're ready to do just that, I'm going to help you to do that. There's nothing out loud. There's no show of hands. There's nothing, nothing at all like that. This is just between you and God. If you're ready to use the master's key of forgiveness to get out of the trap that Satan has that's holding you to the past, how about this? God, I've held on to unforgiveness. And then just insert their name. Not out loud, you keep it between you and God. Because that's where it is in your heart. I've held on to unforgiveness against them. For way too long. You ready to go on? After acknowledging that? Here's what you ask God. I'm asking you to give me the strength to forgive them. So that I can be free from this trap. Now I know you've been asking God to do other things to them. But this time ask God to give you something. Give me the strength to forgive. In full confession, my lack of forgiveness is making me bitter. It's holding me back from your will for me and for my family. And so today, I choose to forgive them. Whoever. You know their name. Boy, do you ever. But I choose to forgive them the same way that you've forgiven me. Don't take the bait. Forgiveness is the master's key to freedom. It's not a feeling. It's not saying that what they did was okay. It doesn't mean you have to trust them immediately. It just means you're releasing the bait on the trap that holds you in the past. Are you ready to receive forgiveness? Because you can't give what you haven't got. Are you ready to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you ready to repent by changing your heart and changing your mind and changing your ways as you follow Christ instead of following the bait that Satan leaves in front of you? Number one reason why people hold off on being baptized, they don't feel like they deserve it. As long as you feel like you have to earn God's approval, you'll try to make everyone else earn your approval. Here's the second thing. Offer forgiveness and be set free. Let's stand together and sing. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.